We are in Luke chapter 3. Luke chapter 3. We are in verse, uh, let me see where we are, in verse 21. Luke chapter 3, verse 21. When all the people were baptized, it came to pass that Jesus also was baptized, and while he prayed, the heaven was opened, and the Holy Spirit descended in bodily form like a dove upon him, and a voice came from heaven which said, You are my beloved Son, and you I am well pleased. And verse 23 begins, Now Jesus himself began his ministry at about 30 years of age. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you for the exciting adventure that is in Christ. And Lord, uh, we want to be people here in Boston and the United States who just, who pursue love, who love your word, who love people. And and just as, as Mark just shared, Lord, here in Boston, on the other side of the globe, Lord, We allow ourselves to be just freed up to be who you created us to be, Lord. I pray that you lead us into that this morning through your word in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, you may be seated. So in the last chapter of the book of Luke, Jesus had resurrected. He had not yet ascended from the dead, and he was appearing to different people and uh, two of the people that he met, he met on a road to a city uh, called Emmaus, which was outside of Jerusalem. There were two men walking to Emmaus, and they were very sad. They were depressed. They were downcast, obviously so. Jesus came up to them, and he said to them, Why are you so sad? Why so much sadness? And they said to him, They said, are you a stranger in this land? Have you not heard of Jesus, of Nazareth? He was mighty in word and deed. We were hoping that he would be the one to come and redeem Israel. But the authorities came, arrested him, and crucified him. What did Jesus say to them? He said, oh, foolish ones, slow of heart to believe. Did not the Christ have to suffer these things and enter into glory. And then it says there in verse 27 of Luke 24, it says this. Do we have this up there? Maybe not. It says, Then Jesus took them through the writings of Moses and all the prophets, explaining from all the scriptures the things concerning himself. So he took them on a little Bible study, and he took them through the writings of Moses, meaning the Old Testament and all the prophets, uh, explaining from all the scriptures, all the Old Testament, the things concerning himself. And he walked with them further for a while. He sat down to break bread. At that time, it says their eyes were opened. They recognized him, and then he disappeared. And then... They said to each other, wow, 
it was him. And he said, did not our hearts burn within us as he talked to us along the road and as he opened up the scripture and just a wonderful picture of what it's like to be in Christ and being able to open up the word and, and, uh, and, and hear from them and be with Jesus. But the main point of that little story at the end of the book of Luke is that the entire Old Testament is a foreshadowing of who Jesus is, the whole thing. And, and Jesus just described uh, that whole, uh, uh, from, from Genesis right through Malachi, everything uh, that pertained to him. And, you know, one of the things that he uh, pointed out, no doubt, was John the Baptist coming and, and pointing to Isaiah and the other times in the Old Testament where it talked about how someone would precede him. Someone would precede him and announce his coming. Uh, no doubt that happened. Uh, but um, and and, that, and earlier in the chapter we read about John and and he's he's teaching about repentance. And uh, actually, in the book of Acts, uh, in chapter twenty-six, verse twenty, it defines repentance as a great definition, or, or, or it, it, it speaks of repentance. And uh, it says this in verse twenty of Acts chapter twenty-six. It says, "Repent and turn to God, and demonstrate your repentance by your deeds." Repent and turn to God, and demonstrate your repentance by your deeds. And so if, if, if repenting and turning to God really is the same thing, here we have it right up here, repentance means turning to God. But if, it's, if you've really turned to God, you, it will be demonstrated by things you do, by things you do. And, and, and so what are the things that people do when they repent? Well, they approach Jesus uh, and, um, rather, they approached John the Baptist in, in the earlier part of chapter 3. And it says the people came to him in verse 10 and said, What shall we do? And he answered back to them, He who has two tunics, let him give to him who has none. And then the tax collectors came. And, what, what, what do we do to repent? And Jesus more or less tells them, Quit ripping people off. And then in verse 14, the, the Roman soldiers came to him. That's interesting. The Roman non-Jewish soldiers came to him. What do we do? Well, quit you know, beating up on people and stealing from them. Uh, and, and, and then, though, uh, interestingly enough, in verse 21, we, we come and, 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 and Jesus comes. And that's where we began this morning. It says, when all the people were baptized, it came to pass that Jesus also was baptized. And while he prayed, the heaven was open and the Holy Spirit depend, uh, descended upon him uh, in bodily form like a dove. So Jesus came to John. But what do, we see, what do we not see Jesus asking? He doesn't come and say, well, what do I do? Like this long line of people, what do I do? What do no, we don't see Jesus uh, asking that. And, and that's because you can't turn to God. You can't repent even. You can't turn to God when you are God. <laughs> you can't turn away from sin when you haven't any sin in your life. Uh, Hebrews chapter 4 verse 15 says of Jesus, he was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. 
So, I want to talk a little bit this morning about why it was that Jesus was was baptized. I mean, why would he have to be baptized? After all, verse 3 of chapter 3 says the baptism was for what? It was for repentance. It was a baptism of repentance. But there's another question that arises about this whole thing. It says that he was baptized, and then what happened? The Holy Spirit came upon him. Why did that have to happen? We read in chapter 1 that Jesus was conceived by the Holy Spirit. Why does the Holy Spirit have to come upon Jesus? Uh, He's already full of the Holy Spirit. The Bible teaches the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. They're one, and, and Jesus is full of the Holy Spirit. Why is Jesus baptized if he is, doesn't have any sin, and why does the Holy Spirit have to come upon him? Even John the Baptist, by the way, asked the question when Jesus came to him to be baptized. In, in Matthew chapter 3, Uh, Jesus came to, uh, we read there that Jesus came to John uh, to be baptized, and and John said what? He said, what, me baptized you? You should be baptizing me. It says, allow me to be baptized now this, and then then Jesus responds actually, he responds to John, and he says, allow me to be baptized now. This is the common English translation. This is necessary to fulfill all righteousness. And so he gives the reason why he had to be baptized. It was necessary to fulfill all righteousness. And so what did he mean by that? What did he mean? Again, I want to talk about that because this is important in understanding who Jesus is. He had to be baptized to fulfill all righteousness. So in a nutshell, if you're taking notes, the reason Jesus had to be baptized, the reason he had to have the Holy Spirit come upon him was because Jesus became our high priest before God. Our high priest, we'll talk in a minute what that means, high priest, And in the Old Testament, remember Jesus pointing to the Old Testament, to the two men on the road to Emmaus, the high priest, before he started and did anything as a high priest, he had to be, what? Baptized and anointed with oil, which in the the Bible, throughout the Bible, oil means what? Represents what? The Holy Spirit. So in the Old Testament, Before the high priest ever embarked upon the duty of high priest, he was baptized and he was anointed with the Holy Spirit. Now, um, I want to look at a couple verses from the book of Hebrews in the New Testament which describe Jesus as our high priest. There's a number of them. They're in the book of Hebrews. Hebrews 3.1 says this, Therefore, holy brethren, partakers of the heavenly calling, Consider the apostle and high priest of our confession, Christ Jesus. Let's go to the next one. Hebrews 4.14, seeing that we have a great high priest 
who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession. Hebrews 4.15, For we do not have a high priest, speaking of Jesus, who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are yet without sin. And finally, Hebrews 5.5, 5, so also Christ did not glorify himself to become high priest, meaning he didn't, he didn't become high priest on his own. The Lord appointed him. But it was he who said to him, you are my son, today I have begotten you. In other words, he was made high priest by God the Father, Jesus Christ, our high priest. Now, we hear that word high priest and it's not really a term we use in the year 2011 much anymore. What is it anyway? What is a high priest? If you're taking notes, two things. Number one, a high priest is a person who represents the people before God. Number two, a high priest is a person who represents God before the people. I'll repeat that. A high priest is a person who represents the people before God, and a high priest is a person who represents God before the people. Now, hear me out. There's only one person you ever want representing you before God, and that's Jesus, Jesus Christ. There is only one person you ever want representing you before God. And let me tell you, that's not yourself. Only fools represent themselves before God. Why would it be foolish for me to go before God and represent myself there? Because the Bible says every man and woman, woman has that has ever lived, has sinned. They have violated the law of God and there is no defense against violating the law of God. There's no defense. There's only one verdict against violating the law of God and that is guilty. And the only question when you appear before God uh, is he who is going to... Uh, it's the only question of what's going to happen when you get before God someday. And the Bible says all of us in this room are going to go before God someday. The only question is who is going to get the guilty verdict? That's the only question. It's not about whether there is guilt there. It's who's going to get the guilty verdict. If, it, if, if you represent yourself before God, the Bible says the guilty verdict will be against you. But if you take Jesus Christ, your high priest, the Bible calls him the author and the finisher of your faith. If you take him along with you and he accompanies you before the judgment seat of God, God will say what? God will say, there is guilt before me. My holiness, my laws have been violated. Who 
is the guilty party here. And at that point, your high priest, Jesus Christ, will say, I am guilty. I am. He loved you so much. God loved you so much that he came into the world, lived a perfect life for you so that you could spend a, he could spend eternity with you. He exchanged his perfect life for your guilty life. And when he presents you before God, he says, I am guilty, to which God says to you, come now, enter into the joy of your Lord. Therefore, holy brethren, partakers of the heavenly calling, Hebrews 3, 1 says, consider the high priest of our confession, Christ Jesus. So who was that first high priest in the Old Testament? Who was it? Aaron, Moses' brother? Now, the high priest in the Old Testament, like everything else in the Old Testament, he he was a foreshadowing of Jesus Christ. That's why Jesus, to those two men, pointed back to him. And the high priest was introduced by God in Old Testament times in order to teach the nation of Israel about the coming Messiah. The high priest, the whole concept was introduced to Israel to teach the nation of Israel what the Messiah would be like and what he would do someday. Now, in the book, it's in the book of Leviticus, actually. People hear Leviticus, like, oh, no. There's, you know, the hair and start sweating and their knees start Well, it's a wonderful book. It does take a little while to get through, but there's a whole chapter, again, dedicated to what a high priest needed to do before he started his duties. Again, if you're, t- um, if you're taking notes, you can jot this down. Leviticus 8, 6, he was baptized. Le- after that, Leviticus 8, 12, he was anointed with oil, oil representing the Holy Spirit. But then in Leviticus 8, 14, it says the pro- high priest had to present a bull as a sin offering. Why? Because he was guilty. He had sin himself. So when John the Baptist came to Jesus and said, me, baptize you? You're kidding me. You need to baptize me. (laughs) Jesus said what to him? He said, John, it's necessary to fulfill all righteousness. Let's go through with this. You'll, You'll understand later. What Jesus was talking about, fulfilling all righteousness, he was fulfilling what the Old Testament law and prophets said that he as the high priest needed to do before he began his ministry. And and so he was baptized, and and then we, um, you know, we saw the, we saw the Holy Spirit, it says in verse 22, uh, descending in bodily form like a dove upon him. And so uh, Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ, it's, it's his way of saying here, for all the world to see and for us to read about 2,000 years later, he's saying, I am God's high priest. That's what's going on here. I have become your high priest. It is I who now represent you. It is I who presents you before God. And again, you don't want anyone else presenting you to God other than 
Jesus Christ. You don't want to be presented by Buddha or uh, Allah or, uh, or any kind of the gods in the Eastern religions. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the God except they are presented by me. And here he is in, 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 in verse 21, 22 here saying, I am the high priest. Now, before we go on, there was that third thing mentioned in Leviticus 8 that the high priest had to do before he started his ministry. It was what? He had to present a sin offering for himself, a bull that was sacrificed on the altar. Why did he do that? Again, because of his own sin. Now, Jesus, it was a little different. So let's just go back, and I want to I want to read these two uh, verses again in, in verses 21 and 22. It says, when all the people were baptized, it came to pass that Jesus also was baptized. And while he prayed, the heaven was opened. And the Holy Spirit descended in bodily form like a dove upon him. And a voice came from heaven which said, you are my beloved son and you I am well pleased. So stay with me now. I'm almost done. And after you're going to be Bible scholars on this issue of why Jesus had to be baptized and had to have the Holy Spirit come upon him. In the Old Testament, in Leviticus chapter 8, we read about it. The high priest was baptized, anointed with um, the Holy Spirit. And only at that point did he, pre- did he present a sin offering because of sin? But after Jesus was baptized and anointed by the Holy Spirit, who steps in? Who steps in? And he says what? He says, you are my beloved son, and you I am well pleased. In other words, there's no need for a sin offering. There is no need for a sin offering. Uh, You are my son, my beloved son, perfect in holiness and righteousness and without sin. Do you see how everything in the Bible just starts fitting together? I mean, I I remember when I was um, 22 years old, started reading the Bible for the first time, and and all this stuff started fitting together. Like the the puzzles of life just came together. It's so, so exciting to dig into God's word and discover this truth. And, and, and so, Jesus, your high priest who presents you, who represents you to God. That's what this is all about. Now, before we go on, we spend a little time in these first two verses. I just want to point out this one thing. At the end of verse 21, notice, so only, Luke is the only one who points this out. He says, while Jesus prayed, the heaven was open." While Jesus prayed, Jesus prayed, it says, and heaven was opened. Remember what we've talked about the last few weeks. Jesus is first our Savior. He died for our sins. He's our Lord and Master who we give our life to every day, but he's also our what? Example. And, and oh, how we need to follow this example. Jesus prayed and the heaven was open. Listen, we need to do the same. God has promised no different result for us. He will open the heaven for us, whether it is for a fresh feeling of the Holy Spirit, which Jesus got here, or whatever else we, pr- we pray according to his, his will. First John 5, 14 says, Now this is the confidence that we have in him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And we know that if he hears us, we have the petitions that we have asked for. The heavens will open. 
So here he is, our example, praying. And I love this picture at the end of verse 21. He prayed, and what happened? The heaven was open. Okay, now let's go on. Verse 23, it says, Now Jesus himself began his ministry at about 30 years of age, being, as was supposed, the son of Joseph. That's, in, in other words, what he's saying there. Some people supposed he was Joseph's biological son. That's the point he's making. He wasn't. Being as was supposed, the son of Joseph, the son of Heli, the son of Matthet, the son of Levi, the son of Melchi, the son of Janna, the son of Joseph. Now, who wants me to read the rest of it? You know, anyone? Anyone? Okay. I blame this on uh, on Derek. The son of Matthiah, the son of Amos, the son of Nahum, the son of Esli, the son of Nagai, the son of Math, the son of Mathaniah, the son of Semai, the son of Joseph, the son of Judah. Do I keep on going? I didn't ask for hands this time. I'm, <laughs> I'm going to put you out of your misery. At one, one time I was telling someone about Calvary Chapel who was unfamiliar with it, and I said, oh yeah, we go chapter by chapter, verse by verse, and they said, well, you do skip over the genealogies, right? I said, well, no, not really. But anyway, there's some great things about this genealogy that I want to point out. Number number one, you may ask, where did they get this thing? What's up with this thing? Where where did they get it? Did people really know their genealogy? Answer, absolutely. The Jews were unbelievably meticulous, even obsessive about keeping a very close genealogy from generation to generation to generations. In fact, they were part of the public record. In other words, you go down to City Hall today, you you look who land has gone to, the land in the city has gone to from owner to owner. You can go at the temple and it would show genealogies. Your genealogies. But people also kept a private record. Very meticulous about that. Um, Number two, I want to note about this genealogy. In verse 23, it says, Joseph, the son of Heli. Joseph, the son of Heli. So, some of you who are very, very, very observant would ask this question. Hey, what about the genealogy in Matthew chapter 1? And in the genealogy in Matthew chapter 1, it mentions a guy named Jacob who was the father of Joseph. So what's with that? Is there there a contradiction in the Bible? What's going on here? Actually, it's a very, very simple explanation. Many of these names are different than the genealogy uh, in the book of Matthew. There's There's a very good explanation for it, very simple, and and this is what it is. It says in verse 23, Joseph, the son of Heli, Heli was Mary's father. Heli was Mary's father. How do we know that? Because in early writings attacking Christianity, there are writings about Mary just attacking her, attacking her character, among other things, and it referred to her as who? The daughter of Heli. Now, Joseph's name is mentioned rather than Mary's name here because, as you can see from this genealogy, It was a no-no, generally. To ever 
mention a woman's name and a ge- genealogy. That's just the world they lived in. Like, don't blame me for it, please. <laughs> you know, But that's just the world they live in. The Greek word for son here could mean it was broader than a biological son. It could mean a, uh, a grandson. It could mean a son-in-law. So verse 23 could be translated there. Uh, it says that Jesus was the son of or the son in, uh, rather, the son of Joseph, the son-in-law of Heli. It could be translated like that. Very simple uh, explanation there. And, and Matthew, his genealogy was from Joseph. It was Joseph descendants, whereas uh, in, in Luke here, this is from Mary. And so um, the last thing I want to point out about this genealogy, and, and, and we'll close, is that is that... You know, it's interesting some of the people who show up in this genealogy. <laughs> you know, when today when people are talking about genealogies, you know, you talk to someone about their genealogy and they're related to whatever, someone who was on the Mayflower, some noble person. Uh, you know, my grandfather tells me that uh, Mark and I are related to the King of Scotland. Yeah, and my daughters say, yeah, well, everyone from Scotland says the same thing, you know. But I'll take it anyway, you know, I'm the king, related to the king of Scotland. But um, if the Bible were made up of men, by men rather, written by men, just, uh, you know, without the aid of the Holy Spirit, that would be what Jesus' genealogy would be like. It would be comprised of men with just perfect character and background, mighty men who accomplished great deeds, But that's not the case with this genealogy. And if you want some gore, go into this genealogy and the people represented there. For example, Luke 3.33. I'm just going to give you a couple examples here. This is going through Jesus' genealogy. It says, The son of Aminadab, the son of Ram, the son of Hezron, the son of Perez, the son of Judah. Now this guy Perez, Perez's mother was a woman named Tamar. Tamar was the wife of this guy Judah's son. And yes, you heard that right. Judah, who is named here in verse 33, slept with his son's wife, Tamar, who gave birth to Perez. So Tamar, whose husband had died, had disguised herself as a prostitute, and she tricked Judah into, into sleeping with her. Now you think American soap operas are bad. That one wouldn't even show up, you, you know, in American soap opera. Uh, soap opera. But listen up. Here's, here's what's so key. Judah had other legitimate sons who lived other than Perez, a guy named Sheila, a guy named Zerah. Now, if this book were written by men, they would have thrown in those names, right? Legitimate sons. But that would have been falsifying the truth. And the truth was that Jesus was a direct descendant of Perez, the illegitimate son of the daughter-in-law who, of, uh, of Judah who disguised herself as a prostitute and slept with her father. And let me tell you, 
He's just one of many men in the genealogy of Christ who had a gory story. Look at, uh, go up one verse to verse 32. It says, the son of Jesse, the son of Obed, the son of Boaz, the son of Salmon, the son of Nashon. Now that guy Boaz there, some of you recognize him from the book of Ruth. He was married to Ruth who came from the nation of Moab. Moab. Does anyone remember the circumstances of Moab's birth? Lot escaped from Sodom, went into a cave with his two daughters. They got him drunk, and he slept with them. They had two children. One of them's name was who? Moab. They later became an arch enemy of Israel, drew enemy into great amounts of just rebellion and all kinds of craziness. There wound up being a curse um, against them. This guy, Moab. Verse 32 also mentions Salmon. Who is Salmon? Well, we don't know a lot about him except who he was married to. Anyone know? Rahab, a prostitute. Never mind some of the rest of the things that the people did who were listed here. David killing a man to cover up adultery against the man. And, you know, and, 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 and there's just a long list of things that were done here, murder and, and, and all kinds of, uh, of crazy things. But, but listen, all of this happened. This genealogy, every single name in here, God is completely familiar with it. He, he had his purposes um, in them, and they, they, every single name was included here, and it all happened 100% within the purposes of Almighty God. God knew. He knew that his son was coming from this line. Biological line. Was coming from this line. And what what could have been his purpose? It was none other than this. To remind you, to remind me of his abounding, abundant, everlasting grace. If you think you've completely blown it with God, if you think your record has been blighted, ruined, darkened by something you have done, by many things you have done, look no further than the genealogy of Jesus Christ to read about what God can do with a life like that. God is in the business of grace, of making something beautiful out of something that has gone bad. Think of a lake that has no bottom and fill it with grace. Then you start getting a picture of the grace of God. It's boundless. It cannot be measured. Jesus came into the world already identified with people like this. He can identify with you. And guess what? As you, the Bible says, you ask Jesus Christ into your heart, receive him as your savior, your master, your Lord. He becomes your high priest. And he does it with joy. It says, the Bible says in Hebrews that it was with joy, the joy set before him that Jesus went to the cross And now, with Christ, he represents God 
before the people, before us, and he represents, he presents us, he presents you to God. Okay, very good. We will pick up in Luke chapter uh, four uh, next week. Why doesn't the worship team come up? And we will close in prayer. Why don't you rise for the closing worship song and for prayer. Lord, we just thank you so much for this wonderful picture of your grace. And this wonderful picture, how, Lord, how you, the Bible says you emptied yourself, Lord Jesus. You did not consider living in heaven in the bosom of your Father, equality with him, something to be held onto, but you made yourself nothing, and you came to earth. Lord, we thank you for that. And you came to earth to become our high priest, to present us to God. We thank you for that. We thank you, Lord, that just the picture of you coming into the world, a world that had been so defiled by sin, even your own descendants. But Lord, how we love that you identify so much with us, even to the point of being willing to be numbered among us, transgressors, people who have violated, broken your law, rebelled. We thank you for that. And I just pray, Lord, for anyone in this room who has not made the Lord Jesus their high priest, the king who resides on the throne of their heart. Lord, draw them in and settle the matter with them today. Lord, we praise you because you love to save us. And then once you save us, Lord, you love to make something beautiful of us. We praise you and Thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, God bless you.